Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 158. Today, we're continuing our journey toward the fullness of time when God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem us who are under the law. Yes, the reason that we celebrate this season is that Jesus came into the world. God manifest Himself in human flesh. But the reason he came was to save us from our sins. That's why he was called Jesus, the one who saves. That is why he was called Emmanuel, God with us, because God had to come and save us himself. No person on earth could do it, so God stepped out of eternity into time and did it himself, just as he said he would. And so what I want to do is help us understand the great crimson river that runs from Genesis to Revelation. God's not finished. God's still in control. God has a plan. And just as in the fullness of time, he brought everything else to pass just when it was time. So God is moving us toward a great rendezvous with him in the future. But let's go back in time. I left us when Solomon was coming to power. David's reign was coming to an end, and he had bought a beautiful mountain called Mount Moriah. It belonged to God, and he dedicated it to God. And his son Solomon built one of the most magnificent structures the world has ever seen or will ever see. It lasted for a period of hundreds of years, but then, as all things on the earth, it came to an end. You see, God allowed Solomon in the first decade of his reign to build this, and the reason he could do that is because David had prepared so many of the materials and had left hundreds of millions of dollars in our money's value today, materials and resources to build this beautiful structure that would be the place where God would dwell among his people and show himself strong and mighty. And you know the story of the great building of the temple. But that only lasted for a while when there was a united monarchy and the tribe of Judah, just with David and with Solomon, could hold them together. And at the death of Solomon in 931 B.C., then his young son Rehoboam came to power, and he was a a very prideful man, an unwise man. And he went to his advisors and asked what he should do, but before he did that, he went to his father's advisors and he said, look, I'm a young man. How shall I rule this great people? And they said, look, your dad was a wonderful man and he was the wisest man who had ever lived, but he was hard to get along with and he crushed the people. He taxed the people and he worked the people and they need freedom and they need rest and they need for a ruler with a compassionate heart that will ease up on them and understand their burdens. 
And so he took that counsel into his heart, and then he went and talked with his young friends. And they said, listen, you better tell those advisors what you're going to do, and it's not going to be what they said. You see, Rehoboam, you need to get hold of this people. You need to show them who's boss. You need to rule with an iron fist because if you don't, they're going to scatter to the four winds. Well, that was just the advice that he didn't need, and he needed to listen to the older seasoned men that had lived and had watched the people and knew the people. Sure enough, what he did is he went out and he took the advice of his young friends and said, if you think as a nation you had it hard under my father, my little finger will be thicker and heavier than his wrist. And the moment he said that, 10 tribes bolted from the United Monarchy. And from the rule of David, they went north and set up a kingdom under a perverted man by the name of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And he made his headquarters in Samaria, and he set up worship centers in the south at Bethel and then at Dan in the north, because he knew that if the people went to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast and the festivals, and they began to have an emphasis on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God who promised David a kingdom, that they would return to him. And so he set up his own feasts and festivals, his own priesthood, in direct opposition to the God of the Bible. And that kingdom only lasted from 931 down to 722 B.C. when the Assyrians came in and totally destroyed and decimated the northern kingdom. Now Judah was alone, and God had been faithful and had allowed Judah a time of repentance. Remember, God is moving all the pieces and all the people and all the places to the point and to the time when he would send forth the Savior of the world. And this was part of God's plan. And it was unthinkable. As a matter of fact, as you read through what we call the minor prophets and you read through the prophet Isaiah and you read through the prophet Jeremiah, it becomes obvious that the Babylonians were going to come in and destroy the kingdom of Judah. The prophets even couldn't believe it. Habakkuk was puzzled by it and he said, I'm going to wait and see how can you do this? How can you let a more heathen nation than we we are a more sinful nation than we are. Come in and destroy your people. And God had a plan all along. And even when he told the prophets, they were astonished. They just couldn't believe it, that God would allow his people to be conquered and to be scattered and to be in exile. But God told them unless they obeyed, they would be thrown out of the land. And indeed, he meant what he said. Merciful, yes. Gracious, yes. But God is just and holy. And he takes care, very good care, to make sure that he fulfills feels every word that he says to every man and to every nation. And so Habakkuk said, I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what you are going to do. And God told him, he said, Habakkuk, if I were to tell you what I'm going to do, you wouldn't even believe me. And God knows the end from the beginning. And so indeed, what he said was going to happen did. And you know the story of the great exile and the three phases of the Judean exile and captivity. Daniel was taken and all of the blue bloods in uh, 605 B.C. Later, just a few years later in five. 
597-596. Nebuchadnezzar came back to Jerusalem and into the land in between, which is called Israel today. And it was the land in between the continent of Asia and the great civilizations north of Israel today and Africa, the great civilizations of Egypt and so forth. It was the land in between, and it was a very important land. So Nebuchadnezzar came back, and this time he took Ezekiel and left Jeremiah there as the off-scouring and the rejected and the dejected. And you know the story. He said, if I have to come back, I will come back and destroy everything, and he did. Nebuchadnezzar came back, and on the 9th of Ab, 586 B.C., he totally destroyed the beautiful temple that Solomon had made hundreds of years earlier. And now the people were in exile. They were without a place. They were without a worship center. And this is when the great preparation began to pick up speed. And this is the first thing that I want to talk to you about because the people were without a worship center. Jerusalem was a far and distant land now. They were scattered all over the earth. The temple from 586 B.C., just as God said, the people would be in exile away from a place of worship and without a central worship place for 70 years they would be in captivity. And so in 586, the temple was destroyed. Seventy years later, to the year 516 B.C., the temple, the second temple it's called, the Temple of Zerubbabel, was built and dedicated in 516. After years of work and years of preparation, it was still not the beautiful temple that Solomon had built. But the people were in exile, and they were without a central place of worship. And so the journey begins that we will look at in the coming podcast, what we call the silent years, the time when after the period of the Babylonians and partway through the period of the Persians, God closed up the canon and not another word was spoken. No prophet for 400 years thundered the great prophecies of God because God had already spoken. And so in the coming podcast, I want to describe to you those silent years and I'll say it over again, but please hear me as we close today that those years that theologians and historians call the silent years is a great reminder to us today that God, even when he is silent, he is not status. He is not static. He is not inactive. God is always moving. He is always working. He is always arranging. And that's what he was doing. For 400 years, God prepared the way for the Messiah in ways that people didn't even realize what was going on until it happened. And so it is with God. He is sovereign and he is in control. And even in these days of uncertainty, certainty in our nation. I want you to understand God has control and he is in control and he's doing what he desires to do. And he will use people that are cooperative and he will use those who are not cooperative because he is God and he is moving everything toward the time when the Lord Jesus will come again and he will reign on the earth. That's what the prophecies are looking forward to. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And I say with the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, 
come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.